You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, I almost passed out on my treadmill two nights ago. You were beginning to tell me about this, and we decided we should maybe just hit the record button. I'd like to hear more. Well, it's in our basement, which is a little cooler, but it also makes it humid. We have a dehumidifier going, but it's a constant losing battle in the Midwest in the summer. And I had... uh, had had a, a weekend with Lisa's family. We'd been out on the river for like four hours the day before. And I got on here and like, I'm going to sweat. I'm definitely dehydrated, but I, I'm going to do some incline threshold work. And with a few minutes remaining, and, and my head's up between the rafters. So whatever temperature it is in the room, it's like 10 to 15 degrees hotter. Just in those final like nine inches of the ceiling up there between the floor joists. Because we have exposed floor joists And just up there. full of your breath up there, huh? Just sucking in your own carbon sits. dioxide. <laughs> it's probably carbon no, monoxide poisoning. That's, that's, that's not it how it works, folks. But continue. <laughs> and obviously I was hot. And you expect that kind of thing. And I don't have a fan set up down there. I only put that up for big workouts where I'm going to be sweating for hours. And I just don't want to coat my machine. So you're just kind of sitting in it, you know, enjoying the the suck of it. Not really, but just sitting in it. And then with like two and a half minutes to go, my hands started getting tingly. Like my wrists and my hand, it was like a, a reverse rush of blood. And I started losing feeling in my fingers. And then my peripheral vision started getting blurry. And I was looking at the TV trying to think, am I really, am I losing it right here? And so like suddenly my watch was just way too tight. <laughs> my wrist is like being squeezed by it. I loosened up my watch and my ring was too tight. And I, I was just like every little thing touching my skin was doing damage to me. It felt like it was just restricting all my blood flow, which obviously it wasn't. But when you get to that spot, like nothing was tolerable. And eventually I had to step off the treadmill and I got down on my hands and knees for like 12 seconds or something. Then I hopped back on and finished. But for the rest of the time... I was constantly running my fingers like pinky ring, middle pointer up and down on my, uh, my, my thumbs. And I kept going up and down the ladder of my fingers. No, and that was my warning sign. I thought if I ever start missing or realizing I've stopped moving my fingers, I have to pull the plug on the workout because I'm about to pass out. But as long as I can keep touching my pinky to my thumb and my ring finger to my thumb, I'm going to be fine. And, and that was it. But I came real close to passing out on the treadmill and it was kind of weird. I don't think there's anything... Other than being outside in true hot temperatures and running hard or racing, I think incline treadmill extended threshold or tempo work is a recipe for that situation to happen. And this time of year, that stuff happens. The number of people I have telling me about imploding on workouts right now, especially those in the South, it's incredible. That's a scary feeling, man. I was just telling you before we hit record that I'm intentionally hotboxing myself on my inclined trainer to prep for an upcoming trail race I have in less than two weeks where last year with about 20 to 30 minutes left I started getting the same thing tunnel vision ears ringing legs almost feeling like they're going numb and tingly heart rate not coming down I'm like 
is this it for me? And I almost dropped. And I'm glad I didn't because that last climb is where I almost broke. Not from effort, but from like, am I harming myself right now? And so I've been purposefully doing incline work in 90 degrees with the heater on in my gym. And, uh, and we'll see if it pays off because that feeling you're talking about right there, there's no coming back from that feeling. Once that happens, your race or your workout is pretty much over. And so I'm trying to avoid that in my upcoming race in 12 days. And so I've been doing those miserable uphill treadmill workouts, uh, much like you. And I'll tell you what, it is no fun, but it has to build some grit or stupidity. One of the two, both. Didn't feel like I got any better. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to. Uh-huh. You, you would set up a, a, a climate for yourself. I I wasn't trying to. This just descended upon me. So that that wasn't ideal. But it's we, I'm sure we've all been there once or twice. And I've never passed out while running. But that was the cl- that was top three closest I've ever been in my life. And it wasn't even like a hero workout. It was a 24 minute tempo at 10 percent incline doesn't need to be a hero work at uphill treadmill workout to get you going i don't think and didn't you pass out once in high school or something running i thought yeah. you tipped over once didn't you tell a story about that i dropped but i i, I stayed oh, conscious okay. so it doesn't count if you tip over but stay conscious that that doesn't count yeah i wasn't out you didn't have the cooper tier uh wobbly leg finish or something not no, I didn't make it to the finish. <laughs> I dropped uh, to the ground. I collapsed right before the uh, the two mile mark. I didn't even make it that far into the race. Mm, something must have been off with you that day, huh? I think someone spiked my drink <laughs> in high school. That was going on. I guess you grew up in West Dallas. Yeah, I could yeah. see that. <laughs> yeah, I think they were targeting the number three runner on a on a mid pack cross country uh-huh. team that day. You know, I never secretly forgave one of my high school teammates. David Freilich, if you listen to this, David. We uh, had the city championship meet, and we were both freshmen. I happened to be the number one runner on our team. And we would have won the city championship, but David freaking Freilich, the other stud freshman runner who would have been one of our top five scorers, decided to donate blood. The blood drive came to school on the day of that city meet and david fralick didn't and then he of course he wouldn't know any better how old are you 14 he decided to donate blood on the day of the city championship hours before the bus left and david david didn't make the finish line david passed out fell asleep about two mile mark <laughs> and that cost us a title i believe <laughs> david terrible every year someone does it every year someone gives blood on race day or game day and then if if they're smart, they tell someone about it and they get benched. Mm-hmm. If they try to hide it, those chickens come home to roost. It was, I think, yeah. A fre- can a freshman in high school participate in the blood drive? It had to be. I'm ninety percent sure that's what it was. Are you too young? To do I don't know. I don't. I remember when I was teaching that the students could take part in it, but I don't remember. If you have to be 18 or not. As an adult now, this sounds like a terrible like system, like just allowing like a 14-year-old to make his decision to donate blood. Could that even be safe? But I'm pretty sure that's yeah. what happened. Anyways, we can move on. Do you want to um, talk about the task at hand today? Should we dive into it or you got more to fill us in on? No, that's it. That's it. You guys almost lost me, but I'm still here. I couldn't do this. Still confused about my fitness. Couldn't do this alone. Brad. Still running 10% inclined tempos. No idea what they mean. <laughs> Sometimes that's a good thing. Apparently my blood pressure sucks. 
I don't know. I did. Um, I told you this, but we haven't had a chance to discuss it. Um, so I have the Afton trail race coming up, which is in like 12 days. And my sights are set on the master's record. Now that I'm 40, um, I've run 141 and change twice on that course, two years in a row. And the master's record is 142 and change 30 K, uh, 25 K, um, 25k 25k with about 2000 feet of gain but anyway so i've run about a minute faster than the master's record and feel like i've run pretty well both of those years so i'm a year older i'd like to think my fitness is better but i have that coming up but i'm not very nervous for that one but what i told you i signed up for is the tracksmith 5000 under the lights here in minneapolis and i'm more nervous for that race than i've been a confession to make what's that what's your confession why are you smiling your text came in during race brain and I read it out loud to the crew. Oh, you did not. You should be checking your phone during race brain. I did. I said, Oh, ho, 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 Kirk just signed up for a 5k. Oh, so everybody, people know. I said, nice. Oh man. Um, whole world knows. The whole, I mean, every, but I love that you're nervous for it. Yeah. I'm nervous for it. What they do. And we've talked about, Oh, go ahead. Yes. I just was going to reaffirm you. I've run, the shortest race I ever ran as a competitive distance was 400 meters. And the longest duration I've raced is seven hours and 40 minutes. And I've raced six hours a few times. Everything in between I've raced outside of like a true, I've never run a true half marathon or marathon. But I've run that distance in other races. I've never been more nervous for anything in my life than track. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing makes me more nervous than lacing up and stepping onto the track. The smell of it when it's hot in summer instantly makes me almost nauseous. It It is a different feeling. And I'm so happy for you yeah. that you're going back to it. Uh, yeah, I don't know what about it makes me so nervous other than what we often do and how we race and how we have raced is very subjective. You go run an OCR course, a mountain, a trail time. Sure. It matters, but effort is what counts. Right. But it is the stepping on the track and racing is the most pure form of like, here's where you're at. You can't hide behind anything. And it's very cut and dry. And so these tracksmith twilight five thousands, they put on major cities across the country or across the world. They have like, I don't know, 10 or 11 cities. They go to London, New York, um, Toronto, a couple more overseas. Minneapolis happens to be one of the cities they chose. LA, like major cities. In fact, Minneapolis has to be the smallest city they've chose. And they put two of them on, one at the end of July and one at the end of August. And no matter if you're a 30-minute 5Ker or a 15-minute 5Ker, they seed you appropriately. And so heat start at 6 p.m. on a Thursday or on a Wednesday. And look in your city. If you're near a major city, I encourage you to look these up. And maybe 25 to 30-minute 5Kers go at 6. And then at 6.30, the 22 to 25-minute 5Kers go, and they progressively get to the faster heats. And by the time they get to the fastest heat, the main event, it's under the lights. It might be 10 p.m. And, well, first of all, I run at like 5 to 7 a.m., so that's going to be a whole thing in itself. I'm usually asleep by the time I'd be racing. And so I seated myself at 1459, Bracken, to ensure I got in the fast heat. And there's legit pro runners in the Metro. I think the race was run in the 14-teens, 1420s last year. Um, so I'm a little over my head, but I didn't want to get left out. So I don't know how you feel about my own seating. But I'm going to be towing the line with people who run semi-professionally 
and are big time runners. And here I am as a 40 year old, what will look like a bodybuilder next to a bunch of five, seven to five, 10 true runners. <laughs> it's just going to be a bizarre thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel great about it. I love it. And that's what I would have seated you at as well. You run 15, 20 ish in training months ago and you're more fit. You get on a track compared to a road and you drop 10 seconds right away. And then you get competition around you, you drop another 10 seconds right away. So you're right around 15 flat. And now you add in more fitness and the adrenaline of a race. I think you're a sub 15 uh, contender right now. Whether you run it or not is going to be dependent on what everyone else around you runs. Mm. If they go out and the last second to last person is running 1440 pace, you're in a whole world of trouble. (laughs) But if there's someone to run with within range of you, I think it's going to be a fantastic night for you. I think I'm in 15-15 shape. I think I need to sharpen now a little bit and get comfortable running a little faster. That's what I think. So we'll see. But anyways, um, I don't need to blabber about that. But I'm nervous about it. Like I haven't been in years, more so than like the Spartan Race World Championships or anything. It's really strange how a 15-minute race on the track in in sight set. It's wild. I love it. What was the first question I asked you? (laughs) What shoes are you going to wear? Yeah. Still don't know. In college, we would have just spiked up. Right. But do we belong running a 5K in spikes after not having more spikes in a decade? A lot of vapor flies. I looked at photos from last year. Almost all vapor flies on the track is what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Even a pair of alphas or two, there's no stack height restriction. Um, probably vapors, I would assume. We'll see. I have time to think about that. But. Vapors are safe. Although, what's her name? Oh, I'm going to blink on her name. She's a mom. She's run a fantastic marathon debut now. I think she broke the American record, but she ran 1459 in alphas during COVID. On the track? Trial, on the track. Who was? Oh, oh yeah. God. <laughs> I watched the live stream. Who are you think- oh, I know who you're thinking of, too. Why am I blanking on her name? She wore alphas on the track. You don't see it very often, but we'll see. Um, okay. Do you want to dive into it? Do you want to introduce today for the people? Yeah. We're wrapping up our second mini-series, and it is the final style of quality run. So we've done speed work, we've done threshold work, and now we're going to do the long run. Yep. That was succinct, huh? Yeah, that was succinct. Um, how do you feel um, How do you feel the long run should be looked at, Bracken? You look at pillars of styles of training really you sep- i separate it into four you have you have speed work you have threshold or tempo work threshold and tempo work they're different but the same potentially long runs and then recovery efforts like where do but we're kind of lumping the long run into this we're talking quality kind of today right like the quality yes. long run how does it fit into all this i'm going to start maybe by ma- making waves or making people shake their head and tisk I don't think it's as important. I think it's the least important quality, quote unquote, session for the vast majority of runners. But I think treating it as a quality session is equally important as every other session. So while I think that the return, the benefit of the long run is less than on any of the others, I think people respect it less and then recover worse from it or Mm. don't treat it as a quality day per se. And I think that they under-recover from it. So I guess I believe both things. I believe it's highly important and unimportant in the grand scheme of things at the same time. Maybe unimportant is the wrong term, but I'm going to say it just to sink the the hook in, Kirk. Set the hook. 
set the hook. You don't sink the hook in. It's kind of like leaving us on a little bit of a cliffhanger, but you'll end up telling us why a little more thoroughly, I think. So do you disagree a little bit right off the bat? Ugh. Here's the thing is you're just you're saying it from a 10,000 foot view and we're not getting into the details. When you say that you haven't we haven't dissected Correct. it yet. So I'm going to say I didn't tell you I was going to start by saying this. I disagree. I'm going to say I disagree because I want to hear you out just a little further. I would like you to explain. I mean, let's jump into it right off the bat. I would like you to explain a little further your reasoning. Like, I understand the concept you're saying in general. Like, well, there's other things of your week that are more important is what you're saying. If you're going to put it on a priority list, it falls second or third on your priority list. But I don't know. I just want to hear you talk about it a little little more. Well, the long run is something that is very commonly included every single week in people's training. They just have the Saturday long run or the weekend long run or they get together with friends and they run long. But quite oftentimes, that's the most common denominator in their training week in terms of quality. Mm. They sprinkle random haphazard speed work. Threshold work's kind of misunderstood. I'm not sure how I'm going to apply it. I'll just go run hard for 20 minutes every other week or something like that. But I'm going to hit my long run every week, week in and week out, no matter what. And I understand that serves a social purpose, and I will never undervalue that. But if I could only include one quality run per week, it wouldn't be just a standard long run because I think it gives you the least return on your investment and what it does for you positive is probably at the low end of the spectrum compared to what it does negative to you if you approach it incorrectly. So that's why I say that. I think that you're not really getting a ton of stimulus from it. I think most people probably get slightly worse at running by doing a long run and they would be better served doing something else. So I'm happy to dispute all my other points later with other evidence that proves you need it. But I think it's the least important of all types of runs to have. Well, I understand now because you're looking at it through the quality lens as much as anything. Like if you're looking at it as a quality session, as a pillar of your week, it is third fiddle to other types of quality you could do. In fact, I don't think going and putting on your shoes and running aerobically or even getting into zone three and gray zone running on your long run, which I think is fine, by the way, um, that's not a quality session. I could not agree more. That isn't a quality session. It shouldn't be the pillar of your week should not be built. Your performance on race day should not be built upon a long aerobic run. You shouldn't be like, well, I did my long run, so I'm going to go crush my 5k or my half marathon. Nope. That is not going to get you there. So I do agree with you from the quality sense. However, if it is layered inappropriately, when the other prioritized workouts have been hit, it's very nice icing on the cake on the durability front. Um, and that's just talking about an aerobic long run, which we're actually not going to spend a lot of time talking about today. We're going to spend time talking about your quality long run as well, which then starts to jump up in priority, especially for you weekend warriors who have the most time on your weekends to do such. But from a quality sense, I agree with you. It plays third fiddle, we'll call it, to other quality sessions. Yeah. And then when you find people doing all the other quality sessions that someone could do, oftentimes you hear like, I hit my interval sessions, I do a lot of 5K and 10K type work, and I do my threshold sessions, and I'll do a lot of hill work in there, and then I, I of course, hit my week and long run. 
And that's all they say about it. And I always think, I want to hear more about that. What else? Tell me about the long run. What are you doing? And oftentimes I just run like 10 to 16. Sometimes I hammer it. Sometimes I run it easy, but like I genuinely feel like crap, but I get it done because you got to get your long run in. And I just think, uh, I don't agree with you. I think I program long runs for almost every person I ever coach, but I don't think I've ever just shoehorned a long run in because you got to get your long run in. Like your week's not complete unless you put that stamp of approval, that, that long run on it. Now you got it. 16, did you run crappy form and feel terrible the whole time? And now you've got another interval session in two days you got to recover in time for? Just fine because you got the long run in. Your week is perfect now. <laughs> That's what I am kind of bracing against is the misapplication or misunderstanding of why do we need a long run? It's funny. We're, t- we're doing an episode on long runs and we just go out of the gates just shitting on it. Just like, listen to us talk about something that yep. <laughs> that's not a good way to keep people tuned in. Bracken. I, I think um, <laughs> the there's some irony at play. That's all I'm saying. Um, the f- it's why I didn't tell you any of this beforehand because you would have had like <laughs> Real good, nice things. You just get to hear it live. Like, what is he doing to me? Just I have to, I have to work with this now. Shooting us in the foot before we get started. Um, okay, I'm gonna piggyback that and just, just entertain your conversation here before we go in and actually help people. Okay, the interesting thing about spoken like this a, is helpful. Is it though? Spoken like a true mid distance runner in college, you were an eight guy, a four guy. Like the long run, what's the long run? And even in college, like you didn't do long runs. And in college, in cross country and track, yeah, over the summer when you're putting in base mileage, over the winter when you're building a little bit of a foundation before the indoor track season starts, we'd go and do a long run as you would think of it once a week. When we got into season, there could be a six to 10 week stretch. That long run didn't exist. You did a quality session Monday. You did a quality session Wednesday. You raced on Saturday. You rinse and repeat. And long runs were by the wayside. And to break it to you, we ran fast on that. If you're looking to run fast, go out and rip 10K and under on the track, which is what we did, or an 8K on the cross country course. We laid foundation, and then we pretty much forgot about them for two months. If we had a non-race weekend, we'd go out and sneak one in, but it was not a pillar of our training. We were a national champ cross-country team on that format, second in track at nationals, mostly held up by the distance running squad. We didn't do long runs. Now, we're racing sub-five-minute pace on the track, very different than going out and running an ultra or a half or a full on the roads or a long trail race. But point being, peak racing season, we just left them. They weren't a part of it because we didn't, there was nowhere to put them in because they would take away from other things that were more important. We ran well on it. So there is a style and type of racing season and training, which they aren't even necessary. However, and this is where I want to sort of, let's start helping people. (laughs) How many of you are racing 10K and under on the track and making that a pillar or a focus of your training? maybe 1% of you listening. And so that's where we actually, I firmly believe that the long run is, is very important and can be a very useful tool when used correctly. Um, can you can you maybe jump on the back of that now, Bracken, or do you still want to just keep shitting on it? I can. Thanks. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish. I'm going to wipe a little bit, and then we're going <laughs> to kick some sand over it and move on. All right. What does the long run do for us? Like, what does any sort of running do? If it's an aerobic long run, what does aerobic running do? 
We, we always throw these buzzwords around, but it, it works on building the highways inside your body, the transport systems like red blood cell counts, oxygen transport, mitochondria, capillary beds, all these things that actually develop while running aerobically. Start somewhere around 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes of exercise, and then you start working on it. And so a long run would be great for that, except that that peters off. Somewhere after 70, 80, 90 minutes, depending on the person, that stops being a main focus of your body. You're not getting the benefit of that anymore. So from that perspective, you don't have to go past 70, 80, 90 minutes because you don't work on those after that point. You might as well run 70, 80 minutes several times per week Mm -hmm. rather than three hours or two hours once. So what about... We just extended time in heart rate zones. Well, heart rate drift starts, and then it's hard to stay in a heart rate zone. And what about durability? Yes, durability is fantastic. Really good. The more time you can spend on feet, the more resistance you can build up to impact in the act of running. But you and I have been around a lot of people who just run crappy on their long run. They just slog it out. They're not practicing a good form. And so on race day... I can't point to a ton of the benefits that they have other than being able to fuel for themselves for that amount of time and stay on feet. But where the long run is a beautiful thing, Kirk, is where you and I love to exist, which is the quality long run, where you're doing purposeful work during the long run. And now you're getting all those heart rate and internal working benefits. You're not running crappy form because when you're trying to run well and do threshold or interval or hill work during you're running with purpose and you're using your race stride and you're generally not going three four hours on quality long run sometimes you do but so you're getting an appropriate stimulus and you can do it again later so yes i love the quality long run i can't stand the slog it out long run and i use an easy long run with an optional cut down to balance out like every other week or every third week so i use it all the time but just an easy long run it's just the juice isn't worth the squeeze to me uh, yes and and for those on our running public training plan you're gonna see you're gonna see exactly what bracken is talking about so we do clearly believe in this and prescribe it every other week is what an easy long run with optional cut down and then typically every other week is a quality mm-hmm. long run that moves the fitness needle further forward right and i think an appropriate time for a true long run if it is important to you Every other week is plenty for a true long run. You know, I really struggled to make my speed translate after college. I would go rip quick intervals on the track. I would go hit all my old college workouts, and then I'd go run 16 low in the 5K, 16 low in the 5K. I was just stuck. I ran 16-11, three road 5Ks in a row one year, back before I found this sport, on the head. Thinking, like, how is that even possible? That's impressive. That'd be hard to do. It would be. And all out. Like I, that was selling my soul to go do that. My long runs were 10 miles. I was just ripping short stuff. And the biggest breakthroughs for me was when I started training for OCR. And I was like, well, I might have to race for two, three hours. I better start running longer on the weekends. And so I started bumping up to two hours, two and a half. I was doing longer quality work, like threshold intervals and threshold and tempo runs, which I had not really done before. And suddenly I just go out and run over 30 seconds faster off of less speed work. No speed work at the time. Run 15, what, 40, I think I ran. So about 30 seconds faster, 15, 41. I was like, that's interesting. I'm running fast less often, but I'm running longer more often and more threshold work. 
And so it got a little cloudy for me, right? What caused what? And this is years ago, but long run was part of it for me and quality long run was part of it for me. So I have a soft spot for like volume helping your shorter running, whether it is a simple steady slog on feet or not. But um, I guess I'm babbling a little bit, but why don't we focus on, do you want to focus on just the quality long run? Is that how you would like to dissect this? The what's the why's and the how to's? Yeah. I think at the very end, we can wrap up with what is the easy long run? What should it look like? Who is it for when you should do it? But for the most part, I want to sit on the quality long run. Okay. And I'll I'll back up what you just said. I've been at my best as a runner when I'm doing a lot of runs between, when I say a lot, I mean at least one every seven to nine days between 12 and 18 miles with a significant chunk done with my heart rate above my aerobic mm-hmm. threshold. Whenever I train for an ultra, I run a fast, shorter distance. It really buoys my fitness. So I'm a believer in it. But again, just to reiterate, I'm not a believer in wedging it in at the end of the week. Oh, I hit my long run. Good. Set. I got my speed work. Now I'll just go tomorrow and hit my long run. To me, it's it, it costs people too much recovery. And then it starts eroding their speed work because they're not ready for it yet. It's not that it's not useful. It's not useful to shoehorn in, which oftentimes is what's happened. It's glorified as a first stringer, but it's relegated to second string status in terms of how you program for it. Well, yeah, not only the term shoehorn in, but actually, like, I would say, like, replace a quality session. Like, I didn't do speed this week, but I got my long run in. I didn't do threshold intervals, but I got my, and now it's okay because I got that quality session and thinking that, oh, my long run can replace. And that's where they absolutely cannot. So on that principle, 100%. So where does, so let's lead off the conversation about it then as we dive into specifics is in like, who's a good candidate for the quality long run? Like, why does it make sense and who should be plugging it in and when and all that? Um, For most of us humans out there, we got two good hammer swings in us a week. Most of us got two good swings of the hammer in us per week where our body's recovered enough to perform. Our mind is ready to put out a mental effort and we can go out there and swing. And so if you look at the priority list and you say, as Bracken had said, well, the the long run's a little lower down the priority list than you think. So, and we also have two good swings in us per week. How do we make this all work? Well... We hit a true quality standalone session early in the week, say Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we follow that up and we combine the two. It's like two birds, one stone, and it's the most beautifully effective thing when it's brought together in the quality long run. That means it's your second quality session of the week. You extend the duration and time on feet, which is great for durability, and then you're also getting a second, another quality session in per week. So in that format, it one keeps you potentially more injury free versus, Hey, I'm going to get two quality sessions in a week plus a long run on top of that. It's a little less, um, risky on the injury front. And again, it's terribly effective, also time efficient. So the, and this is for most of you listening, like we had talked, what was it? We talked like I have gone to a Tuesday, Friday quality session format with a Saturday long run, which would be like an advanced training style, risky training style for some. Um, whereas, and now my shins are bugging me a little and I'm having to back off this week. For example, I think I just have overcooked three weeks in a row and I got to, I I'm paying the price. That's okay. I'm going to get ahead of it, 
but my body said, hey, you've done too much. And that's how most people will end up if they try two quality sessions plus a long run on top of it. So what I'm getting at is a sustainable approach is to do it to get your two quality sessions in by combining your second quality session into your long run. It's a very sustainable approach as well. So hopefully I set that up all right, but I think it is the best yeah. long-term approach for most of you out there. I agree. I think if you're racing, now it depends on the type of athlete you are, but 30 to 45 minutes or longer quality long run is a beautiful thing for your racing yep. because it is race specific on multiple fronts. In a quality long run, you generally don't have the desire, capacity, or ability to run 5K or faster paces or intensity during a quality long run you really wouldn't even want to because you're borrowing peter to pay paul is that the phrase yeah you're, you're taking energy from the long run to try to run fast but you're not going to run as fast as you should because robert robbing peter robbing peter i think, you, I think you're robbing him yeah continue oh well, you're more aggressive with your financial transactions than <laughs> I i'm just borrowing i really okay i got it <laughs> regardless of how you acquire the money it's not being spent appropriately it's not enough money to pay for the 5K work. It's not enough money to give you your long workout for the day. So in a quality long run, it's hard to run much faster than like 10K pace during the workout. And so throughout it, if you're doing 10K pace or threshold work or marathon pace or just grindy hills, that's race specific if you're racing 30 to 45 minutes or longer is your target races or the most of the races you're doing. So you're getting race pace and race stride work but you're also working under mounting fatigue. The thing about doing 5K or mile pace workouts is you can only do so much volume before you're done. And you hit a different type of fatigue. It's an anaerobic fatigue and it's a cardiac, like we're done. We can't do it anymore. We can't sustain this output. We're in a half marathon or a marathon. That's not your limiter. It's how do you perform when you're fatigued and how's your stride when it's really kind of beat down. In the long run, with the quality component, is the perfect time to work on that. So I think you, you attack your running from multiple fronts with this, and it's a super effective plan, especially for the us type of people. People who aren't trying to be pro runners. Pro runners can go out and do 15 by 1,000. <laughs> they can rack up 13, 15 miles of total work on the day. By running 10K pace. You know, they can do crazy stuff like that because they're freaks of nature and they're genetically made to do this kind of thing. For the rest of us, this is how we get our volume up and our quality up and still can do it again next week. Yeah, that was beautifully said. And uh, now you're convincing me a little bit. Maybe the long run doesn't suck, Brack, and maybe it's not a waste of time when uh. there's some purpose to it. So do you think when I set this up with the two quality sessions per week and one one of those sessions being intermixed in the long run do you believe that that style long term is is the best approach for the majority of you out there and i would argue even for a 5k if you're training to race 5k's well on the road you're a road runner or you're jumping the local fun runs or whatever they are i would still argue that this setup still makes the most sense because you can get your overspeed training done early in the week in a standalone session, and then you can make your long run, your threshold intervals or threshold tempo fartlek style, which will work the other energy system. So I believe that even if you're a 5K, or I think this still just applies to you the same. 
just split up your week appropriately. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would say up to like three to five weeks out, this would still be a big crux of my training. Right. And then I would go event specific from there. And for the other people, 30, 45 minutes or longer, you can keep doing this as your peaking workouts. Yeah. You can bind two of them into one. You can do this 10 days before your race and you're fine. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So um, we're on the same page there. Good. Do we want to dive into a little more specifics then of how we like to approach it? Would you like to take another angle? Do you want to set the stage a little more? I mean, I'm ready to dive in, but I don't know if you have a few other things you want to wedge in first. Let's dive. You cool with diving? Down periscope. All right. Let's do it. Um, okay. So let's say you are racing between one and two hours. Let's just say somewhere in there. They're not 30 minutes to two hours. I think that's going to take the general scope of our listeners. In a quality long run, how long How long do you think you need to be going, even when quality is involved? Let's start there. I love the 90-minute duration. I really do. For newcomers to it, it can be more like 70, 80. And for vets, it can be closer to two hours total. Maybe not every time, but maybe every other. But 90 minutes to two hours is kind of how I float. 91 week, two hours the next. 81 week, two hours the next. That's where I like to sit in. But that 90 minute time frame, it's about as long as you can go with real intensity. And it's about as short as you can go in reaping all the benefits of the long run itself. So I really, and, and you could argue both sides, but I really like plus or minus 10 minutes or 15 from 90 minutes. I'm just going to keep grilling you. What if you are a marathoner, you're running a Spartan beast in the mountains, that's going to take you over three hours. Let's say you have your first 50K. How does your, um, and I have answers for these as well, but I'll just put you on the stage first. How does your answer differ if somebody's going further than two hours in their race? It doesn't differ much. The, the, the standard formula is the same. Just when I blip up to go longer, I go a little longer. So every third, I might go two and a half or three hours. And still get right back to 90 minutes, two hours, three hours, 90 minutes, two and a half hours, two hours, three hours, something like that. I spend more time up there, but I'm still getting that 90 minutes to two hours, probably two out of every three sessions. I was hoping you would say that. So what about you? Well, just because you're racing longer doesn't mean that the quality portion or quality long run suddenly is like null and void and gone. It's not like, well, I'm racing a 50K, so every weekend I just go out and run for three hours. Like, I just go run for three hours, chat with my buddies. Like, you are leaving fitness on the table by doing that. And so I was hoping you actually would outline that. I do agree that the long run needs to be extended at minimum once a month, maybe once every other week, even depending. Um, but I, the main point I was hoping you'd make is what you made keeping a quality long run in there, even if you have a longer race. And you can race 50Ks off a three-hour run every single weekend. You can. But you can also race it off two-hour runs every weekend in a few three-hour runs. I've never seen any conclusive evidence from a physiological, from a scientific standpoint that says the more three-plus-hour runs you do, the better prepared you are for a 50K or even a 50-miler. Yeah. But I've seen several that state... Every minute you go past two hours causes more recovery demands with a huge reduction in your return on investment. And so if you can get the necessary three to four hour work in, if you need that, just enough, and then go to town on these 90 minutes, two hour efforts, you're really playing both sides in a good way. You're getting the benefits of both. Yeah. And with my ultra athletes and 
uh, you'll know this, that those that listening is they end up getting quality sessions two or three weekends out of every four. Um, and one being of just steady duration and then the other, uh, being a precursor to a long run on feet fatigue. So like I, the, the principle we agree on there is what I'm getting at. I would say, I think if you're racing for two hours, I don't think you need to go further than two, maybe two and a half in your once every three weeks where you go out for, and put just some time and practice your fueling, some gear choices, all of that. But, um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, did we dive into that enough? I think we did. So how do you decide what to do on a quality long run then Bracken? How do you, what does that mean? How do you know what to do? Where do we even start? I talk about balancing the equation a lot with building training plans. And I assume people understand what that means. It's, I've got my speed work in. I know I'm going to do that. I've identified what faster than race pace is or what my mechanical speed requirements are. And I'm going to do that all the time. And so all my Tuesdays are going to be working on the skill of running and the anaerobic capacity or whatever I'm going to work on there. But now I have the other things. I have to balance the equation. I have to hit my other race needs, skills, durability pieces. That's what I put into the the long run, the quality long run, which generally consists of what people have left over is threshold work and hill work. Those are the two most common pieces that need to be balanced out. Where do I fit my hill work in? Where do I fit my threshold work? And I still have to do my long run. Why don't we just throw them in a blender? We can get them all done. Okay. I thought you were going to piggyback that a little bit. No, because I want to, I want to know yours. Um, I agree with you. I think you need to look at, there's a lot of skills we need to touch on as athletes, you know, different pacing, different terrain, um, different durations. Like there's a lot to hit in a week. Even if you're a pure road runner or you're a pure trail runner, like there's still a lot of systems we'll call it to like check every week. And inevitably one is going to be left behind for the weekend, um, in a typical training pattern. And so, um, the leftovers is exactly right. I, I think that is a good opportunity that the quality long run in particular with somebody who's working a normal nine to five or whatever, Monday through Friday schedule. It's your chance to get on race specific terrain and even do similar things that you had done earlier in the week. It could be, let's say you did a fart lick on Tuesday, but you left out of your front door and you hit the roads because that was, you know, it it helped uh, fit in best with your schedule. It wasn't inconvenient. Well, then on the weekend, it's like, okay, well, I'm racing in the mountains and I need to get on those trails. And so Saturday is where that happens. So I think it's just a good place to make sure that you're simulating race type terrain within a quality session. So I first go right to that. Um, so I agree with you on that. I think in a system in which I think the pillar that you outlined with, you're probably not going to train faster than 5k pace in a quality long run. And if you do, it's going to be a very unique workout. If you happen to design it, it's possible. It's gonna be a very unique workout. Um, it's probably just pickups in the middle of a run. It, it could at that point, you know, once in a while I'll prescribe a minute on three minutes off as something to get the legs feeling good. Like we need to move them. Yeah. Sure. In that sense, like it's a very skewed work to rest ratio. Yeah. You're going to hit 5k pace in your 60 second pickups. Cause you get three minutes of easy running in between Duh. Like, but that's not, mm-hmm. that's not a pillar you want to build fitness on. It's a, that's something to move the legs and work on efficiency, but nonetheless, um, so I think you always veer towards longer fartlek style work and threshold type intervals. It can be as something as simple. A workout I've been doing lately and prescribing would be like a a 40 40 40 long run. 
which sounds silly, but 40 minutes of easy running, 40 minutes at threshold-ish, 40 minutes of easy running to finish out. It could be as dumb and as simple as that. Would I qual- call that a quality session? Yeah, I would. If you're really, hey, I want to get my heart rate up between 165 and 170 and keep it there roughly for 40 minutes and then run on tired legs to finish it out for 40 minutes on race-specific terrain, there's no pacing goals. There's nothing other than, hey, get your heart rate up where we need it to be and let's work. Cool. That is as simple as it gets, the quality long run. Or it could be as something like any of our three, two, one fartlicks, mile on, mile off, progressive progression long run, depending on the the specific intent of pacing there, um, a whole myriad of things. But I don't know if you want to dive into like maybe the the longer end of the quality portion, and then we can maybe whittle our way down to the shorter end of the quality portion on the long yeah. run. How's that sound? Yeah, let's start simple. Yep. The very first one I ever did. I got this from letsrun.com. Oh, boy. This was way back in the day. There was a thread on uh, training for a sub-four-minute mile. And there were a few of the old heads on there, the coaches that had been around. And there were a few sub-four-milers, like a 147 guy in the 800. There's some pro runners who were popping in there. And it like divulged into this global conversation on how to build strength as a runner. There was a lot of good mile workouts in there, but people were talking about what I now realize is the quality long run. They were talking about stamina workouts. That used to be what you would call this. We're going to work on stamina. And it was five, five, five easy, five hard for an hour, for 80 minutes, for 90 minutes, for two hours. And someone said, what does easy mean? And what does hard mean? And someone just replied, go out and do it and tell me. (laughs) That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Pick the time you're going to do it for and choose a pace that's easy and hard for that amount of time. You're going to learn real quick how to pace yourself for long events or for surges by choosing something that you think is easy or hard and turns out not to be 20 minutes later. So the very first one I ever did was five off, five on. And that turned into song-based runs. I would just make a playlist of plus minus five minutes per song. And I would just make a chill song and an up-tempo song. And I would just put an 80-minute playlist on and run right out my door. My warm-up was the five minutes easy. And then I went into five minutes more moderate. Hard's the wrong term, but it's moderate and back and forth. And every time the song changed, I just did that. That was the start of me trying to work on stamina workouts where I'm turning over quick enough that I'm probably near threshold. But I'm going long enough that 80 minutes for me at the time was a long run. In that time, with that fitness I had, you're getting in well over 10 miles. That's a long run for me. That's a really simple workout. I used to call them the iPod run, but you can't call them iPod runs anymore because I don't think people use iPods anymore. Do people use iPods? I think there's some holdouts that Are still there? do. Maybe I can prescribe it for some... A few people using Zunes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I used to have it the iPod run. For your older population, you can. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you outlined that beautifully in the sense that I think when you look at the quality long run, you don't need to overcomplicate it. I think is the main thing. Nope. You don't need to overcomplicate it. We make these cute workouts, these split tempos and buy-in cash-out workouts and four by four by 400 meters and and thousand meter repeats with very specific pacing and rest. It's like all that can go right out the window for your quality long run. It's like, hey, what is, what what feels right today? And let's go do that. As long as I'm spending a majority of my time working and ramping up towards threshold or sitting in threshold, I think you're doing 
95 to 99% of your quality long run correctly. And, and even if it is something as simple, which I've done like quarter mile on quarter mile off, or you could pick one I really like is five, three, five minutes on three minutes off. Same principle as you're talking about just a little different ratio of work to rest. They all get the job done. I think on the, on the long, um, on the high end of the spectrum, I said, I mentioned something about like my 40, 40, 40 long run, right? 40 easy, 40 threshold, 40 easy. Very simple. Yeah. Uh, Those are big chunks. They're big chunks. The other way to do that literally in your quality long run, which I think is very effective, is to pick time-based or distance-based and say, hey, I'm going to go 15 minutes on, five minutes off times three. I'm going to spend 45 minutes in threshold-ish on race-specific terrain. You could be in the mountains. You could be on technical trails. You could be on the roads. doesn't matter but really in the quality long run, I look at accumulating 30 to 40 minutes again of 30 to 45 of quality time on feet, right? The same principle we talk about when we talk about threshold intervals and things. I use the same one and translate it. So what does that mean for you, Bracken? Well, if you do your five on, five off for an hour, you're at 30 minutes. You do five on, five off for for 80 or for 80 minutes, you're at 40 minutes of quality. The same things you're talking about, you're following those principles in the workouts you outlined. So say, okay, what what do I want to play with today to get to 30 to 45 minutes of quality time on feet? Maybe it's a ladder where you go 15, 10, 5, 5, 5 on the way out, or you alternate miles like I mentioned, or you do mm-hmm. anything like that. But that's the sweet spot, playing with your the duration of your tempos and, and then playing with your easier recovery running in between. Cut downs, I think, are the maybe the best place to start for someone mm. new to the quality long run. Sure. And these are really simple. This can be run 45 minutes out in one direction and then get back quicker. Like a bringer home style workout. Get out and then bring it home. There's no real rules to it. Rules. You still call you, call those the Kenyan runs? I haven't done that in a long time. You used to call them Kenyan runs. I did. When when I left the leaderboard, there was a bit of a, a falling out that occurred. And there was some some nasty talk about NDAs and non competes, and what uh, and I ended up having to speak to a lawyer, and it didn't go anywhere. But basically, what he told me is, you're bulletproof as long as you don't use any terms or names or workouts that you specifically created while in their employment for their purpose, mm. for the purpose of the company. So I used the term a Kenyan run, even though I didn't invent the Kenyan run. I had never put it in all caps and used it on a plan until I was working with them. So I stopped using that one. But something like KDE or Bigfoot or Mount Majestic, where I'd been using it my entire life, I kept using those. So Mm. it was just out of, maybe it was out of respect. Maybe it was out of self-preservation. I just didn't want to make waves. So I stopped using that term. But should we talk what the Kenyan run is? Well, yeah, why don't you? I mean, we just let them on a little. So sure. All right. It's, It's a style of run that... In Kenya, there are giant groups of runners where you'll get 20, 40, 80 athletes who will go out for a run. And we have people from 20-minute 5K runners all the way down to 12-and-a-half-minute 5K runners. And they all start out at like nine minutes per mile. And they just run for a while and gradually over the course of the run, it starts to heat up a little bit. And people have no obligation to do anything, but eventually they're just cruising. And they're not trying to PR anything, but this back half of their run, maybe their last 20 minutes, they're running down closer to three minutes per kilometer or five minutes per mile just because they flowed into the run. But there was no real structure. It was just run the first 20 minutes easy and then see what's available for you. 
start moving your legs a little bit, pick it up a little, see how you feel, and then start clipping down a little bit. It's an easy way to get a quality long run in is I'm going to run 60 minutes to 80 somewhere in there. And along the way, I'm going to start just loosen it up a little bit. And then my last 20, I want to be approaching like my 10K pace towards the end of those 20 minutes, starting at marathon pace and cranking down to that. Yeah, I think um, if I had to pick only one quality long run for the remainder of time, if I had to pick one, you put me in a corner and said, you got one, it would absolutely be the progression long run. Because you can pick the point in which you pull the plug every time. Maybe, yes. like sometimes on these progression long runs, and it's a staple among marathoners as well. You'll see that amongst some of the best marathoners in the world. That's going to be one of their pillars. You'll see them do a progression long run every handful of weeks. But, um, you know, you can set a pacing goal where I'm going to work all the way down to seven-minute pace, and then I'm going to back off and run easy the last mile or two. For me, I'm like, I'm going to set a heart rate rev limiter, and I'm going to cut down, cut down, cut down until I see my heart rate stay above threshold for that last for the entire last mile and then I know that's my pull the plug and then I shut it down and run easy and and things like that um and a progression long run can also be like I call you have slow progressions where maybe you run your first 15 minutes at this pace then your next 15 minutes at this pace it doesn't have to be every consecutive mile you could break it up into chunks and say four miles here four miles there the next four miles here they can be segmented even broader is what I think I'm getting at but point, I think it's so effective that it just, mm-hmm. you touch every energy system along the way, which is beautiful. You start aerobically, you chill, then you get into your zone three, which is fine. And then you start to get low end lactate thresh, threshold. And then you work your way through threshold all the way up till you're about close to it or breaching it. You just work everything. Nothing gets missed there. And so I just think it's extremely effective. I'm in a hundred percent agreement. If I gun to my head, I had to choose one quality long run. I could only do that for the rest of my life. It'd be the cut down the progression, however you want to call it. It means the same thing, getting faster as you go. I love it. And some people will say, well, why would you even do like a baby workout like this? You're only spending 20 minutes maybe near threshold by the end of that. Why don't you just do a full 45 minutes of it? And the answer is we're already doing that in our week. We're already having our interval session, our full threshold session or faster. We already have that. What that session doesn't do is get you to that same point after already having been on feet for an hour. And that is a very important skill to have as a runner is to be able to do all those fancy things like run at 10K pace or run at threshold or run at marathon pace, but do it when you've already been beaten down a bit. Anyone can be bouncy and smooth at the beginning of a run, but what happens the last couple miles of a race? That's where we want to get to in this workout. So no, it's not about having the best possible metrics of a quality workout, but it's about working every single stride under duress already. There's something magical that happens after 60 minutes of work, now starting some quality work where every stride matters more. So you may only get 10 or 20 minutes around threshold, but it feels like it's worth double that. Because every stride is meaningful and you have to work for all of it and it, your, your form is a little different and it's a very, very important stride to have access to. It's just, I don't know if I'm doing a great job explaining it, but something about doing your work while fatigued has extra benefits to it than doing it in a vacuum. I don't think you need to explain it any better. It literally is that simple. Working 
somewhat hard with purpose on legs that already have some miles in them is what the back half of a race feels mm-hmm. like. It what It's what your body feels like when it really counts. You're still forcing yourself to work hard with just damage. Whether you've run slow or fast the first half of your long run, let's say, pounding is sort of pounding. Like you take the number of times your feet hit the ground mm-hmm. is causing damage. And so even if a good majority of your long run is spent running somewhat slower and easy, that still has caused muscle damage, breakdown. You've used up a lot of your glycogen stores and you're running on a tired system. That's yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, It's that simple. Yeah. You don't have to work hard to deplete glycogen. Correct. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. So the combination of a little muscle breakdown and, and a depleted glycogen system uh, just has you ready. Like you're going you're gonna to get into your race and you'll be like, oh, I felt this all the time previously in my progression long runs. Like this is what the last 20 minutes of my progression long run feels like. And you're sitting there in the middle of your race going, I can sit here because I'm familiar with it. And I think that's sort of one of the big takeaways from that. I, I got a question now I'm rattling around in my head about the quality long run. And that is, should there be a rev limiter in a quality long run? I did a workout midwinter and I did a quarter mile on quarter mile float long run. It was a 16 mile. It ended up being an hour and a half effort. I ran pretty hard and fast. But what ended up happening was I did 20 reps, a ridiculous amount of reps, 24 reps. It was stupid. I was, it was a curiosity workout. I swung the hammer and it worked and it damaged mm-hmm. me. The point being is by the end of that thing, it was like my heart rate was, there was point of no return. I was breach threshold. I was swinging for the fences and I felt real proud of my effort. Did I overcook it? Maybe. Did it take me many days to recover from it? Yep. Did my next quality session feel like shit? Yep. But did did I did I shoot myself in the foot because I worked too hard in my quality long run? What do you think? Uh, I think you worked hard enough that you needed a significant amount of recovery, which if you didn't have that programmed in, then that was too hard and you shot yourself in the foot. I also think it's a privileged place to be because it takes a certain level of fitness and mental fortitude to be able to trash yourself in a long run. Early on, there aren't really rules to how hard you can work in the quality long run because your body's going to stop you. I'm starting to cramp. Mm-hmm. My legs can't move anymore. My heart rate won't come down. When you start getting real fit and seasoned as a runner, you can start to hurt yourself on long runs. Early on, it's just the damage. It's just the pounding that does it. Someone like Tyler Germain, someone like yourself, can go out there and put out such high work rate for so long that you can dig yourself into a hole that requires like a week or two to get out of. Yeah. So yeah, you can hurt yourself, but it's a qualified risk. You get to that place by doing these for a long time. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I agree. It's just a question that crossed my mind. It's more like I think the majority of your focus should be like, try not to really breach threshold. Uh until maybe the very end, if you're feeling spicy, not like dipping in real early into the workout, like you're 30 minutes in, you still have 60 to 75 minutes to go. And you're like, I already hit 185, like in this quality portion, like that's not really the goal here. We're looking to have duration. If you're feeling good and you want to puff your chest out and rip it home, so be it. But I think it's a little self-restraint early on. So what I think we should do to wrap this up is I think we should just 
we should just fire our favorite. I know we've alluded towards a few, but why don't we just fire a few of our favorites? What do you think? Uh, Well, here's an example that only applies to people with significant hills. But one of my absolute favorites I used to do was when I lived in Colorado, I would run up bar trail to bar camp. I would go high end aerobic up all out to the bottom. Hmm. So six and a half miles up. So six and a half mile at like just under marathon effort and then turn around and rip to the bottom. All out's a little bit of a misnomer because can you run all out downhill for six and a half miles? Not really. But the highest output I could sustain without tipping all the way down. And it ended up being right around two hours always. And it was it was one of those efforts I needed five days afterwards sometimes to, till I could hit quality. But it was such an impactful run. And I got uphill and downhill. But that's basically a, a cut down. Yeah. Go out sustained but steady and then let her rip. That was... One of my biggest needle movers and favorite workouts of the quality long run variety. Okay. Well, we've listed so far the progression long run, like the 5-5. Five, five, you could do a 3-3 three, three mm-hmm. or something like that, right, mixed with there. And then you just outlined that. I think two that I like, if you if we, if we speak to the 30-minute to 45-minute mark, um, I mm-hmm. like two different styles. If you're not sure you can handle 45 minutes, I think a great place to start is at 30 with the 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, 10 minutes on, five minutes off, eight minutes on, four minutes off, six minutes on, three minutes off. You have the recovery. Heck, if you want to draw it out, extend it. 10 minutes on, 10 minutes off. You could even do that um, if you want to get more duration. But that's going to accumulate you 30 minutes of total time of quality. And if you're looking on the higher end at 45, I really like the 15, 12, 9, 6, 3. You go down by three minutes every time. You can half your recovery. I like to take three minutes of just real easy in between. Um, but if to draw that out, you could do half. You could go whatever that math turns out to. That'll get you to 45. So I think those ladder styles, and I think we've prescribed some of these, haven't we, in our running public training plan, our, our oh, yeah. non-OCR. So, yeah, these are sounding familiar right. to people. So I like I like the 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, and I like the 15, 12, 9, 6, 3. Um, Again, one's at the 30-minute mark of total quality and one's at the 45. Beautiful. They can go down any terrain like Bracken talked about on his mountain. Um, so it doesn't matter where you do it as long as it, you know, put yourself on something similar to race train and rip. Like, fantastic. So those are two simple ones that are very effective. Yeah, I like that. I would say the – now, these are kind of redundant. They're just variations on what we've already talked about. But the two I've done the most often in my life, uh, one is 10K easy, 10K cut down. Hmm. I generally do this on trails and I'll get in more of a ratio because it's softer terrain and I'm working on durability at the same time, but I'll run 10 K just easy running the cleanest, crispest compact stride I can. And then I have my watch set to beep every kilometer. As soon as I hit 10, I try to run each kilometer faster than the previous one, which requires holding back in patience in order to make sure that the last one is faster than the second to last one. And so on and so forth. But I love that one. And I usually end up ripping pretty well by the end. Mm. And it always blows my mind. Like I'm running these last 2K faster than I'd be running just like a 5K tempo. But you build into it yep. so well that your body changes gear smoothly and the work is reduced almost. I love that one. I love those. Build- you look, go for it. Well, the ones that build like that, like, you know, we've used, we've said this a number of time on the podcast, like, I can't stay at this pace. I either need to slow down or speed up, but I just, it's intolerable for me to just sit here 
And so that progression like keeps you on the hook and it sneaks work out of you. It's an amazing way to sneak work out of you. It's like sitting here sucks, but if I make it sharper, for some reason, it's like more tolerable. It's a really bizarre phenomenon that happens, but I just wanted to speak to that because that style of workout really does that for me. Yeah, it's. It, it's, it shows the power of letting your body gradually change gears rather than aggressively changing gears. Yep. If you can ease into a pace, you can access higher paces than you would have been able to do if you just snapped into a pace. And then the other one, again, very similar, but I pick a trail loop and I run it once easy and then I run it once for time. And for time, it's really more like an 80 to 90% effort, but... I was doing, I worked that up to two by nine mile loops when I was prepping for a trail 50K. I ran nine miles steady to easy and then ripped for nine. And ripping again is, it's all relative at that point because you've already been on feet for like, on that trail, like 75 minutes. And so now you're trying to run on fatigued legs. You're not really ripping, but you're working with purpose for nine whole miles. And you just work down a little faster each mile until the point where, I know I'm going to tip if I go over it and then just try to sit there for a bit. But by that point, you probably only have like two or three miles left. So those are the two I've run the most often in my life. Okay. Yeah, I like those. Yeah, they're like versions of like the really like sort of like a progression, just getting a little. It's all progression yeah. or cut downs. Yeah. So we know where your heart lies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, another one I really like that seems to be effective, it also allows me to run pretty fast, is like the mile on, mile off. Not talking mile on, mile float. That's very different. Mile on mile off is a more long run approach where, hey, you're running recovery type pacing for your mile off. So a typical recovery run, you're going to run that typical pacing or effort. Um, Very simply put, let's say you're running seven minute miles, you know, that would translate to like, I don't know, you could just say seven minutes on, seven minutes off, almost like you're five, five, really, they're accomplishing the same thing. But for those road people out there, uh, mile on mile off or um, the tempo cutdowns are beautiful, like three miles on mile off, two miles on mile off, mile on mile off, cool down, things like that. You can do three by three miles if you're a marathoner, but keep the effort in check, right? Or two by three, three miles for you roadsters out there. Uh, you can always translate those, um, to time on the trails, um, as well. So I guess like we, we could, you could give a bunch of small variations to these pretty easily, but like, I think people are probably getting the idea at this point, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Should we, should we finish up with Hills? Sure. Cause I think Hills lend themselves to this. Now you can do all those things we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You can cut down, you can do three by 15 minute Hills. You can do five on five, five hard, five easy on Hills. But, uh, one of them we've talked about before is Mount Majestic. And that's one Kirk and I do every time we're together. And there's the OCR version and the non-OCR version. The OCR version is you go up and down the hill. Um, It depends. If it's a big hill, you just go up and down once or twice. And then you carry something up and down it once. And then run up and down it two more times. And then five minutes fast and flat. And you just keep repeating that. And we'll do it for an hour and a half, two, two and a half. We've done, I think, three and a half hours of that. Three for sure. And it's basically you spend double the time climbing in terms of reps, but it's the same amount of time. So it'll be like five minutes of climbing, five minute carry, five minute climb, five minutes flat and fast and just rotate it and just keep repeating. That's a, and then the non OCR version just takes out the carry. Yeah. I like that. And you would go between running and like, ideally you'd have two, two grades, a really runnable and a really hikeable. Do you think there's something as simple as I've done this before? Um, considering a quality long run, like I'll call it an uphill long run. 
here in the Midwest, we have, I have access to 150 to 230 foot hills at most. There, I don't have a climb within anywhere in, within driving distance and within reason that I can go longer. So simple. I attack every hill and I work it pretty good. And then I coast until the next one. Like, would you call that quality or a descent long run where I'm really climbing easy, but every downhill I see, I am ripping. Would you qual- Would you qualify that as one? Yeah. And we used to, we used to call that no uphill left behind no or downhill, no downhill yeah. left behind. Your only goal is to work that one portion. Right. And, and I would call it that too. I mean, now if there's like five miles between your hills and say so you're running one hill for three minutes and then you're five miles <laughs> to the next, it's different. Yeah. Um, a lot of times what I'll do for a quality long run is my rule of three here in the Midwest, which is when I get to a hill, I rip up once easy. Then I go right back down it, rip up again, easy down it, rip up a third time. And then I continue on it like a recovery effort till the next one pops up. And then I get rule of three. Every time I hit one, I got to rip it three times. And then I may have five, 10, 15 minutes before I hit my next substantial hill, but then I do the same thing there. So the rule of two or rule of three long run is one I like if you don't have like a ton of dense hills. We've never talked about this workout. Yeah, you're smirking over there. Yeah, when I signed up for the Spartan Race World Championships in 2012, I had never run on a mountain course, but I knew I didn't have mountains. And so I was scouting everything in the area, and I was searching online constantly how to train for mountains without mountains. And one of the op- one of the things I found is a guy said, just do the do a long run on the hilliest terrain you can find and run every hill two to three times before you move on. Oh, that's funny. I was like, that's genius. So genius. So I'd go, I went out to Kettle Moraine the first time. Nine mile loop. It has like 900 feet of vert, 970 or something like that. I ran each one three times. Got 2,800 feet of vert. Yeah. Simple, but works. Yeah. It's like, what in the world? I was thinking, how many times am I going to run these loops in order to get this? He's like, no, just do each loop several times and move on. Or each hill several times. And I was like, yep. There are thinkers out there. What a novel idea. <laughs> I like that you have done that. Uh-huh. Same for downhills. I have done ones where it's okay. Just slog up the hill easy turnaround rip like if downhill happened to be a focus uh same thing but and, and that just goes to show how unstructured it needs to be who cares along the hill is who cares the grade yeah who cares like just follow that principle and make sure you're working hard and somewhat recovering in between like who cares like it doesn't sound exact science as far as your body's concerned is it i don't know maybe nope. but i think you'll still get good benefit from something like that final hill workout that i have uh and if you've ever seen my Strava, you'll see a horseshoe shaped or a rainbow shaped uh, graph mm-hmm. on this one little hill section. And I have a hill that switch backs up at like <clears throat> 10% and it takes 0.82 miles to get to the top. And then there's a 200 meter connector over and the other hill goes down from there and it's like sits between 15 and 30% and it's a half mile going down. And I just run easy up one side, cross over, hard down, turn around, easy up this side, cross over, hard down. And I just loop back and forth, rotating. It just makes a rainbow. And I, when I was prepping for a 50K, I was doing, I started with 12 miles and built up to 13 and 14 miles of just that. And you spend about, I don't know, 40% of your time running hard. And that's it. And most of it's downhill. Where is that? I was curious where that one is. Lapham Peak State mm. Park in Wisconsin. It's by Oconomowoc or Pewaukee. Yeah, not too far from you. Peak's a bit of a misnomer, uh-huh. but... It's got a hill with a peak on it. And it's got an observation tower at the top. Mm, yeah. You you hit that, baby. You add a whole nother 50 feet of air. Yeah, vert. you do. Um, all right. I think we can leave it at that. I think hopefully people got just enough takeaways. I think, uh, you know, if you if you understand the pillars that, 
hey, you get a quality session earlier in the week and it's okay to hybrid. In fact, it's encouraged to hybrid your mm -hmm. long run to squeeze some quality in there while getting time on feet. Um, I think you're just going to see fitness improvement, also better odds of staying healthy while training with purpose. And so I, I simply don't think that one quality session per week, week in and week out is enough to see your true fitness potential. I believe that you need two harder stimuli per week in order to really get to the next level. And that often means sneaking it into your long run because that's what's available to you. And so I think it's a very underused tool by the distance running community. And um, you'd be surprised what your fitness does once you start sneaking in a second quality effort every week instead of just going out for your boring old long run. I fully agree. And I'm ready to wrap, except at the beginning, I said I would say who the easy long run is best for and who should do it. So I'll do it in 20 seconds here, okay. just so I'm not a liar, Kirk. Sure. This is the standard easy go out and jog for two to three hours. That is great for two people. One, ultra runners. The longer your races, the more there is race-specific benefit of just spending time jogging. Getting used to your gear, your fueling, your shoes, your socks, your chafing, all of that. And the second is people who need that social human connection, and that's the place they get it. If you enjoy it, do it. That's like number one rule of running. If you're not trying to be a professional, if you enjoy it, just go do it. Throw out all the science. If you enjoy it and you have fun and it's sustainable, why would we ever tell you not to? Can't argue with that. One bit. There's going to be exceptions to every rule. Our theory can be poked holes in a million times, just like we could do the same to others. That's just how it is, but I agree with you. If you're happy enough to keep putting your shoes on, that's the best training plan for you. If that means long, slow runs where you talk about <laughs> stuff the whole time, great. Yeah, we all want to get faster. We generally think there are a few people who claim they don't. But really, we all want to be running at 60 and 70 mm -hmm. and 80 if it's available. And so sometimes the best workouts are the ones that keep you passionate about it until you reach that point. But the quality long runs better. Always. How's that for a wrap? <laughs> wrap it up. <laughs> all right. The end. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm.